You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Welcome again. There's some new people that I have never met today, so if you're new, welcome. We're glad to have you and hope you enjoy our time worshiping and learning about the Lord with us and hope to see you again soon. We are back finally and we get to do this series that we've been waiting to do for quite a while. It's the eight-part series on eschatology. Eschatology is just a theological word for the end of the world. As you can say, the end of the world as, as we know it, and the start of a new world. It's not going to end like, because of aliens. It's not going to end because of zombies. It's not going to end even because of global warming. The world will come to its conclusion the way that God told us it would happen thousands of years ago. Today is the intro to that, because it's eschatology, we got people in all different spectrums, and so it's not just something you can dive right into. I want to sort of set the precedence and, and get us all thinking along the same lines today, and then the next seven weeks after that, we are going to be looking at this in more detail, drawing from all of Scripture. And we're going to see, although some of the stuff is scary, we're going to see that God is great. And God shows his supreme power in the events that preclude at the end of the world. God is going to have victory over sin. God is going to make all things new. And things are going to be put back to the way that they were always designed to be. And it's going to be great. And it's going to be awesome. So let's just pray. We're also going to pray for a brother who is uh, sick right now, Stephen Hayhoe. Um, him and his family and their four wonderful kids. They've been coming to the church here now for about two years. And he is um, sick with a lung infection in the Bracebridge Hospital in the ICU. And it is not COVID because everyone jumps to COVID conclusions. There are other sicknesses around um, besides that. And tested multiple times, and he just is needing antibiotics and oxygen. So we're going to pray uh, for him, and we're going to pray for us. Lord, we believe you are real, that you are living and active. God, we need help, because often, well, in a, in a culture like we live in now that believes all truth is relative, and that really there is no ultimate truth, we have a hard time even as believers uh, believing that the things that you have written will come to conclusion and that you're really a God who's trustworthy and you're really a God who's in control. And so help us with our unbelief. Uh, help us wherever we are in this understanding of, of the things that will come at the end. Help us all to just uh, meet uh, and learn um, just from your word what you have, you've laid out. Lord, we lift up our brother uh, would you heal Stephen's body? Would you get rid of the infection um, in his lungs, Lord, and, and help him to uh, come out and, and be with his family again? We give him to you, trusting in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. On May 21st, 2011, it was set to be the biggest day in history for a uh, group of, uh, I don't know, 50 or, uh, or 60,000 people. They had been waiting for this day for a decade. It was going to be the day 
in which God would set all things right. It was going to be the day in their deliverance from sin. May 21st, 2011. I remember I was a relatively new Christian uh, and three years or so, and I was reading about it in McLean's, I remember, in 2010, and then uh, you'd see billboards in all the major cities. Uh, there was literally hundreds of millions of dollars that were being pumped into this campaign. They said on May 21st, listen for the trumpet. I remember reading an interview of them. Watch for him in the clouds. Tell your family and friends on the 22nd, you will be gone. The leader of this group's name was Harold Camping. He was 90 years old at the time, worth about $75 million. He was the founder of a prophetic uh, radio program called... uh, Family Radio, which was developed in the 1960s, came on the air. Harold believed that he had uh, found a secret code in the Bible which gave him the exact day in which Jesus Christ would come back and take his church from the earth. And then setting into motion five months of uh, hardship and, and judgment to which then on October 21st, 2011, Jesus would come back and bring a new heaven and a new earth. Well, of course, Harold was wrong. He was wrong just as many, many, many men and women have been wrong who have tried to put dates to things that were never meant to have dates to. Uh, When Jesus will return, his second coming has been on the minds of Christians for millennia. It was on the minds of the apostles when Jesus was telling them about the things that were to come the things that would bring about the last period of the world, the signs of the times. They asked him in Mark 13, 4, tell us, when will these things happen? We want to know. We want to have our bags packed. We want to be ready. When are you coming back? To which Jesus replied to them, verse 32, now concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father who is in heaven. It's been something on the the minds of Christians, uh, evangelical Christians, we could say in the West, uh, for the last 50 or 60 years. It's it's been growing in momentum in a survey, a large survey done by Pew Research in 2013. 77% of evangelical Christians, that means Bible-believing Christians, we hope, uh, believe that this was the last period that Jesus would return in their lifetime. Even amongst non-believers, 41% of Americans uh, believed that they were in the last period, that, that the earth would end in some big catastrophe within their lifetime. Whether it be by a meteor, or a nuclear war, or for some zombies, or pandemics, they believed that it was all coming to a conclusion. But most don't believe it's going to happen the way that the Bible says it's going to happen. And, and God gives us a lot of information on this specific period of time. And, and when God talks a lot about something, it's for a reason. And, and God gives us an outline of these events, a pretty, a pretty big outline, but then he, de- he gives very specific details about some of these events that will take place. Uh, when I was trying to think of how to explain it, I remember when we first went into Kandahar, now we had, I've told you this before, when we went into Afghanistan, uh, meaning NATO forces, they just secured most of the big, villi- or big cities and left the rural areas to themselves. 
And so the maps were very old. A lot of them were Russian maps, um, and a lot of the roads that used to exist didn't exist anymore, and there were new roads. A lot of the riverbeds were dried out. And so we had maps. We were given maps when we went out of the cities that weren't really up to date, but they had specific landmarks that couldn't change, like mountain passes, like very large wadis, dried out waterbeds, very uh, large streams and systems of water, and stuff like that. But so when we went out... We didn't really know some of the roads we were driving down. We didn't really know what some of the little villages were. But we made our way by keeping our eyes on the big markers. And that's kind of like what it is when God lays out his end times timeline. He's going to give us some big indicators, some things to watch for. And as we go along, he is going to be filling in the details. And just as we were drawing maps and marking villages, we'll be seeing the details that we don't have filled in by God. This is actually the last part of the series we started six months ago called What Does the Bible Teach? And I really wanted to teach it to you in person. And so we kept getting locked down and we kept postponing it. And because it's a complex thing and the Bible has so much to say about it, I made this study guide, which is an overview of the eight sermons. And it's going to give you some extra stuff. And and my intent is so that you don't have to be trying to write down everything as we go and put it together. I've taken a lot of it and put it together for you. And so my intent is that you take it home and that you look through it. It has all eight sermons in it um, and that it sparks some interest and that you actually start to investigate some of these things that you have, these questions that you have on your own. There is a place you'll see in the front that you can send questions to. If you have some questions that you can't find the answers to, we want to help you with that. We encourage you to do that. But I encourage you to first make an attempt on your own. When I became a Christian, again, remember, I hadn't even passed high school at the time, and so I wasn't known as a theologian, but I just started to read the Bible. That's something every Christian should do. Like imagine if, if you're a doctor or you're like a lawyer and you've never read the manual to your profession, right? That'd be pretty strange. But there's a lot of Christians who have never actually read the manual to our faith. So I'd encourage you to do that if you haven't done that. But when you're doing it, you're going to read a lot of things. You're going to be like, huh, this theme of this end period of time keeps coming up in the Old Testament and the prophets, even in the Psalms. Jesus talks about it. The apostles talk about it. Maybe there's something to it. And so as I learned that and I just read through the Bible, I'm like, huh, well, I better learn some more about this. And so I just started to listen to some sermons, started to read some articles. And, and after four years went before I entered school, I had a pretty solid understanding of what the main beliefs were. And that's what I want for you to become un- by students of the word who can understand it. You don't need a degree to understand it. God made it so that you can piece it together, just plain Jane, regular people like you and me. And so there's going to be a lot of information. And you're going to see that God is not a mindless babbler. You ever meet somebody, maybe you got some family members or some friends, right? Like once you get them talking, they go down rabbit trails. Does anyone have anybody like that that they know? Like you'll, you'll ask them, how's your day going? And they'll just blah, 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 blah. And they'll go down rabbit trail, rabbit trail. And you're like, how do we get over here? And then they're, they're talking to you about their, you know, their, gran- their great grandfather and he had bad breath and how that scarred them as a child. And you're like, wait a second, I'll ask you how your day was. And, and how do we get to here, right? God's not like that. He doesn't give a bunch of extra stuff that he doesn't want you to know about, right? If he speaks, he speaks with a purpose, And so 
God wants you to pay attention. And so in this introductory sermon, I want to do a few things. I want to prepare you, and I want to ground you, and I want to get your attention. I want to prepare you for a roller coaster ride. If, when we look at it in its entirety, it's going to be a bit of a roller coaster. You're going to say, whoa, these things are going to take place? Wow, that's a bit scary. That's a bit overwhelming. And we know God did some pretty amazing things in the past. We're going to talk about those things. But God is going to do some just equally as impressive things in the future. So you've got to get ready for that. Prepare for that. I want to ground you. I want to ground you to what this book has to say about it. Not off of what some YouTube sensation has to say about it or, or some new prophetic person that comes upon the scene. You're always going to get those sort of people. But how do we know what's going to happen? God's word. So we ground ourselves in what is true. And I want you to pay attention. Hopefully after this, you're going to look at the world with a different lens. You're not just going to sort of go through the world thinking, well, it's all just going to go on forever, and I don't really need to pay attention to what's going on in the world. No, I want you to pay attention so that you're looking up and looking around and and seeing the things that are coming towards you. You might ask, well, why should I? What's the purpose of studying it? Like it's complex. Uh, One third of the Bible is prophecy. Like why do I really need to know this stuff as a Christian? Can I just come to church and like go about my day and just just teach me how to manage my finances and and plan for my retirement and to be a nice person? Well, there's, there's a number of reasons why it's good, why you should. Reason one, I got five for you. Reason one why you should take this seriously, why you should study this on your own, why you should have a, try and have a clear understanding of it, as clear as you can get, is because as we look at what God has to say about the future and what he's going to do in the future, it will encourage you in the present. What happens in the future should encourage you in the present. Knowing that God is in control. Listen to what he says in Isaiah 42, verses 8 and 9. God says this about himself. He says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. God is, is, is showing you, listen, I said these things are going to happen, they happen. I'm telling you new things are going to happen so that you're prepared, so that you see I'm actually in charge of the world. Jesus reaffirms this in John thirteen nineteen. He says, I, I'm telling you this now. He's, talking, he's telling him about things that are going to happen. I'm telling you these things now before it takes place. So that when it takes place, you would believe that I am he, the Messiah. Again, God wants you to see these things coming so that you're like, ah, I'm a, there's a God that is in charge. It reminded me when I was thinking about this, when I was on these planes, they were called, they're called um, auroras. They're big maritime um, ships that the Coast Guard often uses, and they patrol along the coast. And so we were using them overseas, uh, in the Persian Gulf, because the Persian Gulf is a lot of the way, um, ways that a lot of the ammunitions and, and dangerous stuff was moved in and out of the Middle East. And so in 2003, I was part of a group that we were protecting officers. And so we would sometimes go on these um, surveillance 
planes with the Air Force so that if they, they got shot down or crashed in the Middle East, they would have some protection. And, and I can remember, like, I was just an infantry soldier, and, like, these, these planes had none of the gravity. We just sort of sat on, like, nets in the back. And I remember, like, I, I wasn't the greatest. I wasn't the most confident in the air. But the pilots were really good. They built confidence in me because they would let us know what was going to happen. When they were flying with the contours of the mountains to keep from surface-to-air missiles from hitting them, they'd warn us. They'd say, get ready, and this would happen. When they were going to fly over suspected ships that they were monitoring and tracking, they'd say, get ready. They were giving us indicators so that when it happened, I had confidence that the people flying the plane knew what they were doing. And it's the same way God wants you to have confidence that he knows what he's doing. Another reason is, is we'll know the signs to look for. If you study what God says is going to happen, you'll know the signs as they're approaching. You remember before the days of GPSs? You remember that? Some of you? Yeah? Yeah. Like I can remember when as a teenager, I lived in London, drive to Toronto. I can remember I drive to lots of different things, concerts, the airport. And I'd drive there and I'd be navigating. I'd have the map. I was thinking about this last week when I was in Toronto. I was like, I can't believe I used to navigate this with just a map while I'm driving. And I'd be watching the road, driving in Toronto, and I'd be looking, okay, in two exits, it's, it's this. And, and I'd be watching, sign, map, sign, map, don't collide, sign, map, right? And, and so I'd, I'd be getting ready for my turnoff. Now that we just have this box that tells us what to do, kind of like the TV tells us what to do and think, but that's a, another note. And, and so that's what God wants for us. It's like he's giving us a map and he's telling us, when you see this coming, get ready because this will be coming next. Number three, we study eschatology so we, will, well, we won't get too comfortable with the things of this world, of this world. Because the things of this world, they're only temporary. They're only temporary. And they were never meant to be an ultimate uh, fulfillment. You're never meant to be fully satisfied with the things of this world. And if that was so, if, if people could be fully satisfied, then, then you'd see it, right? But how many people do you hear say, I have enough money. I don't really need any more. Do you hear the Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musk saying that? No, it's always more. I need more. I need more stuff. I need more money. I need a new uh, partner. I need to look different. Like, very few people are ever satisfied with what this world has to offer. But when we read eschatology, we realize and God reminds us that the best things come at the end. The best things in life come after all of this. C.S. Lewis talked about this. The writer of the Chronicles of Narnia lived World War I, World War II. Uh, he said this when in his book, The Weight of Glory, when he's talking about how believers underestimate the riches of the things to come after death. He says, if we consider the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased with playing in dirt. God doesn't want us to be fully satisfied with the things of this world. He wants us to look forward to the things that are to come, and that won't happen until the end comes. Number four, it reminds us that we, there won't always be another tomorrow. 
Eschatology reminds us of our, the fragileness of life. Listen to what the writer of Psalm 49 says about all classes of people. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who inhabit the world, both low and high, rich and poor. My mouth speaks wisdom. My heart's meditation brings understanding. Verse 5. Why should I fear in times of trouble? The iniquity of my foes surrounds me. They trust in their wealth and they boast in their abundant riches. Yet these cannot redeem a person or pay the ransom to God, since the price of redeeming him is too costly. Verse 10. For one can see that the wise die, and the foolish and the stupid also pass away. Then they leave their wealth to others. Their graves are permanent homes, their dwelling places from generation to generation. Though they speak, though they have named their estates after themselves, but despite their assets, humankind will not last. He is like the animals that perish. Verse 15. But God will redeem me from the power of death and take me to be with him. Steve Jobs understood this, the creator of Apple, all the gadgets that we have. He gave a speech, a commendment speech in 2005. It's a pretty good speech at Stanford University. It's sad that he didn't come to belief and faith in Christ. But anyways, he says this about his 2004 diagnosis of pancreatic cancer. He says, when I found out I had three to six months to live, I was devastated. Then they were able to perform a, a rare surgery and give me more life. But now, this is, you know, he's speaking in 2005, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make big decisions of life. Become all, because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things fall away in the face of death, leaving only one that is only that which is truly important. James encourages us in this, verse chapter 4, verse 14. For you do not know what tomorrow will bring, for what is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a while and vanishes. Right, when we, when we understand the world won't last forever, we understand we won't last forever on this earth at least. And, and that will push us to seek Christ more. Number five, why should we study eschatology and understand it for ourselves? Not just what I say, but what the Bible says. Because it will push you into evangelism and kingdom building. Any of you ever see the movie? It was a 2020 uh, apocalyptic movie called Greenland. Anyone see it? Anyone see it? No? No, well, it wasn't that good. So you're not missing much. But anyways, in this movie, which I think was on Prime, it, it tells the story of, of this asteroid cluster that is approaching Earth. And, and the government knows that it's going to hit the Earth, but they don't tell anyone because they know everyone will panic. And so in the meanwhile, as it's approaching, they're getting this bunker ready, ready in Greenland. And there is a big bunker in Greenland. But there they're going to take all the, 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 you know, the most educated, the most useful people, they would say, and put them in there while this comet hits the Earth, and then they go into three years of, of, of death. And essentially nothing will live above the surface. And so this, the story is around this guy named John, who is an architect, and him and his family are selected, but they have to make it from their house 
to the transport area because apparently the government couldn't prearrange transport for them. And, and, and so the story is, is that they have to fight off all of these people who want their spot on the transport. And, and, and so the Bible isn't gonna, doesn't say the world will end due to a meteor. There's going to be some meteors that are going to happen, but it isn't going to be the thing that ends the world. But God does say it's going to end in specific ways. But unlike the movie Greenland, there is a place for all who want to come. It is not a select few of, uh, of society's brightest and greatest and richest. It is whoever wants to come can receive. But in order for them to receive, they have to know. For them to know, we have to tell them. And when we will go through these next seven weeks and you'll see the things that God is going to say is going to happen, you're not going to want those things to happen to your worst enemy. And that should push you to the kingdom work into telling people about God. Just like Noah, right? A a guy who God told there's going to be a flood. It's going to wipe things out. I want you to live your life. I want you to build something for me. That's what we're called to do. Build something. Build on what he's already building upon. Doesn't matter your age. Doesn't matter your situation. There's no, I'm just going to step back and not work for God anymore. We're all in our own capacities building something for God. And we also, like, like Noah was in Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5, we're told that he was telling people about what was to come. And we're called to share with people about what God is doing, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's going to do in the future. And so this should spur you on to that. And, and so I know, as I've been preparing for this, I've been talking to some of you. And you're each coming from a different point of view. Some of you are coming from very specific, I believe this and this and this will happen. Some of you are like, oh, I don't really know what's going to happen. And some of you have no idea. And, and so I'm trying to get us into the same frame of mind before we get into the nitty gritties. Because most likely I can put you all into three categories. Maybe there's a few difference. But the first category is those who are obsessed with scripture or with end times events. Like obsessed. Society would have a name um, for people that are obsessed with the end of the world. They're called tin hatters. I've, I've heard it referred to quite a few times, right? Like people, and I won't preach on this the whole time where you'll take a picture and put it on social media of me, the crazy pastor, right? But people who believe everything is a conspiracy, the world is ending every day, people who, who really have a hard time listening, some characteristics of people, if, and you may find yourself like this, and I'm not trying to insult you, I'm just trying to tell you this is not the way God would want you to live, is often these people have, people who are obsessed with end time, have a hard time living in the present because they're so focused on the future. They're extreme. Uh, and, and they're not really living in the everyday life God has designed for them to live. They're also often easily influenced by false teachers. A false teacher is somebody who takes some truth and mixes it with some lies and presents it for their own gain. They're usually involved around money and, and sex and power, Right? They're easily influenced by these people because they, they're, they're always on the, the topic. Sometimes they have severe or mild paranoia, right? We hear about people taking their families and locking them in their basements for a decade and the kids come out and they've never even been in society before. Sometimes it's more mild. It's like, I can't travel because I'm worried that, that this is going to be the time when Jesus comes back or I can't go far from my house. Sometimes they're like, oh... 
the president is the Antichrist. I remember when Obama, when Obama was elected in, there was people like, he's the Antichrist, he's the person. And then Trump came in and they were like, he's the person, he's the Antichrist. I don't think too many people are saying that about the current president. But anyways, you don't want to be paranoid about the Antichrist, the things to come. You want to live a normal life. Sometimes these people have a, a hard time getting along with anyone. Anyone that doesn't agree with them 100%. And right, they're the people that are often avoided at church get-togethers, like, don't go talk to, to that person over there, because if you don't agree with them 100%, there's going to be some conflict, and they're, they're going to get pretty angry, right? <clears throat> Sometimes they're just unbalanced, and you often see that in their life. Anyone ever, anyone ever go to the gym lots, and there's something called a, a person, not something, a kind of a person that has a nickname in a gym called a juice monkey. Anyone ever heard of that? Yeah, there's one guy shaking his head. That's good. So a juice monkey is a guy, okay, the idea is that he takes steroids, but often they're like the guy with a huge upper body, it's like his arms and his, and his chest is out like this with a puny lower body, right? Because all they do is work out their upper body, but they never worry about their lower body because I guess nobody sees that and all they, a lot of it is just look at me, right? So they look funny because they're proportionally not right. They've worked up their, their upper body, but their, their lower body. That's sometimes the way Christians are. They know a whole lot about end times, but they don't know much about what the Bible says about practical, everyday living. And God wants us to be balanced. The other group is the group that's kind of clueless, right? Maybe they've been going, they've been a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, but they're like, kind of like, they're just Ears are closed, eyes are closed, like, I don't really care. Whatever happens, happens. I don't really want to waste my time with it. And, and this, isn't, this isn't the way God wants us to be either. He wants us. He tell, writes these things down so that we'll know them, so that we'll understand them. And, and these people often just go through life thinking the world is going to keep going forever. And then we can get focused on building our empires and, and not really focused on the gospel work. We can be kind of naive to the importance of the things that are going to come. Some specific things we're going to talk about that are going to be indicators. Kind of like the people were in the time of Ezekiel. Ezekiel was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was speaking about um, the captivity that the Israelites would go into the first time they were, they were the Israel was beaten by the uh, Babylonians and sent into exile. And he was telling people, listen, if, if we don't turn around as a nation and go back to God, this is going to happen. But the people were saying this to him, chapter 12, verse 27. God is talking to oh, Ezekiel and he says this, son of man, the Israelites are saying, the vision he sees is for many years from now. And the prophecies are about the distant future. Therefore, say to them, God's saying, say to them, this is what the Lord says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. The message I speak will be fulfilled. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Essentially what people are doing is like, I hear it, but it's not going to be in my lifetime. So there's no need to get worried about it. It's not my issue. And that's the way sometimes Christians would be. I hear it. Yeah, God's going to do some things, but it's not going to be in my lifetime. So I don't really care. But it's, it may be. There's going to be a generation that it happens in their lifetime. And we want to be prepared for that if it happens. Because there is going to be this thing, and we're going to talk about it in a little more detail next week, called the falling away. It's going to be a, a period when, in those end times, when a great number of Christians 
more cultural Christians, like they went to church, but they didn't actually believe, they didn't actually follow Jesus, are going to fall away. The Bible speaks of the great apostrophe. apostrophe. And, and it's going to be where the people just fall away in faith because they were never really committed because hardship came. And we don't want to be those people. We want to be the third category, balanced, balanced. So we don't have tin hats on. We don't have closed eyes. But when we are overseas, part of the way we're trained, and I still do it when I drive or walk everywhere, is to have situational awareness. What does that mean? It means that you're not just focused on one thing, like where everything around you is happening and you have no idea. It's where you understand and are looking at the whole situation. So you're looking close in the, pr- in the present, where you're going to step to make sure there's nothing. There's no mines, there's no booby traps, there's no, nothing like that. You're looking uh, in front of you to see if there's anything that's going to be approaching pretty quickly. And then you stop every now and again and you scan the horizon. Situational awareness. That's what we're called to be as Christians. We're called to live in the present, look to the near future, And also, every now and again, to look up, look at what's happening and see, are there any signs in the distance that are telling us what's going to happen? We want to keep our lamps full. Our lamps full. Jesus talked about this in Luke chapter 12. He says this. He's talking about when he comes back, his second coming. He came the first time as a baby. He's coming back second time for a different purpose. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him once he, knock, once he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. We want to be like that. We want to be ready. We want to be asleep when he comes back, not really seeing the signs that were to come. We want to understand the great importance of the commission. And a balanced Christian who's living with an understanding of what is to come, but also living in the importance of today, does that. Paul lays it out to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Listen to what he says. He's a two-pronged approach to living. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godliness, to deny godliness, godlessness, sorry, godlessness and worldly lusts, and to live in a sensible, righteous, godly way in this present age. So live like this now, while, at, while we wait for the glorious, blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how God wants us to live, in the present, but also looking into the future. I remember a pastor once said to me when I was a new Christian, he said it in a sermon and I was listening, and he said something along the lines of, a Christian should live every day of their life like Jesus is not coming back for a thousand years. But at the same time, living every day with the urgency and the expectancy that he'll be returning in the next 24 hours. Do you get that? So you're building a life like he's not coming back for a thousand years, but you're also living with the expectation and the urgency that he might come back today. That is how we are to live. Last thing I just want to roll out there is how how can we trust that these things are going to happen? Like you may be like, maybe it's your first time visiting. You're like, I don't know if I want to be here for the next seven sermons and hear about some stuff that I don't really know if it's going to happen or not. Well, 
If you're at that place, I want to encourage you. You can believe that these things will happen because God has already said some stuff that was to happen that has taken place. Some pretty spectacular stuff. And I put some of it, just three of them, there's many of them, and some, some links and some verses that you can look at. One is the birth of Christ. That, there's so many verses that speak to that in the Old Testament that we have ancient, docu- ancient copies of uh, that show us 300 years before Jesus ever came, that these were the things to look for in Jesus Christ. And then he came. Like, secular historians have these and believe that these are, that these are authentic copies. Another is the rise of many nations. We're going to look at that in the weeks to come that actually weren't in existence but rose and were clearly uh, these nations that were talked about, the Greeks and the Babylonians and the Romans. Uh, but one I just want to look at you is the, the establishment of Israel. There has never been a nation like Israel. What do I mean by that? I mean that there has never been a nation that has been established, then destroyed, the people scattered, brought back together, reestablished, the people then destroyed again, and sent out into the world, and then reestablished again. There has never been a nation that has done that. And not just a nation, okay, but the people keep their unique, and the Jews are very unique, unique ways that God has given them to, to be an act in. So look at it. In 70 AD, when the Romans sacked Israel and destroyed it, they wiped it off the face of the planet. Then they called it Palestine. It was no longer Israel. Then for, from 70 AD until 1948, the Jews just lived as a people and kept their unique identity in the world. They were persecuted heavily. There was never a lot of them. Half of them were killed in the 1940s by the Germans. And then they were brought back in 1948 and reestablished. And we have ancient scripture that tells this is going to happen. And I'll just give you one of the many verses I've listed. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 11 and 12. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand a second time and recover the remnant of his people who survive. He will lift up the banner of the nations and gather to the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah from all four corners of the earth. Israel is a miracle. That Israel exists, that it was replanted, that it has survived attack. Uh, And we're going to talk more in detail about that. That when seven nations came against it and there's only a few million people living in it, and yet it survived is miraculous. It speaks to the sufficiency of God to be able to complete what he said he's going to complete. And so we can trust he will do the things that he hasn't yet done. And what I want you to just walk away from after these eight sermons, hopefully is a better understanding of the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. That means that God is in ultimate power and control. And if the last 17 months have taught us anything as Western Christians, it's that we're afraid of a lot of things. And although we believe in a God, sometimes the believing that he is in actual control of our lives is a lot harder because we're so full of fear and so full of what might happen and this might happen and, and but they say this might happen. And yeah, we need to take precautions, but we are a people full of fear, not a people necessarily full of faith. But it's my hope that we will become, through this series, a people of stronger faith. People like the writer of Psalm 46, 
who says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid, though the earth trembles and the mountains topple and to the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foams and the mountains quake and its turmoil, there is a river and its streams delight in the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her and she will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. Nations raise kingdoms topple the earth melts away as he lifts his voice and the lord of armies is with us the god of jacob is our stronghold that is what god is calling us to ladies and gentlemen and as we look at the things that will take place that is what i hope you will say and have and experience a greater faith that god is really in charge it's our such a privilege for us to be living in this generation in this time We might look at it and say it's all going to hell in a handbasket. But what a privilege it is to think back on on thousands of years of men and women living in their generations, living their regular everyday lives, but in faith that God was real, that he was in charge. And we read about them, the Noahs and the Joshuas and the Naomis and the Davids and Nehemiahs and Marys and Pauls and Augustines and John Martyrs and Whitcliffs and Mother Teresas and, and Billy Grahams, right? Regular men and women, who stood in their generation in faith. I want to be that. Like, if the world goes to hell and it starts to fall apart, I don't want to just fade away. I don't want to just be like everyone else and and believe it's all going into destruction. I want to keep believing that God is supreme. And I want you to believe that. I want you to be encouraged throughout this series. And I want us to be a people who stand in our generation, in faith in God. Let's pray, and then we're just going to do communion. We're not going to just do communion. We're going to do communion. God, thank you so much. I pray that this has allowed us to sort of bring ourselves into the same frame of mind. We're not going to come in and and have to demand our way, that we're going to be open to what it is your word says. Not necessarily what our favorite preacher might have told us or somebody we like to follow. And God, the things of the last days are scary. Lord, just like death is scary to a lot of people. But Lord, we're going to now focus on the fact that you defeated death. And that, Lord, you're going to come and get us someday, whether it be through death, natural death, or when you come back and end this world. Help us to have faith and to never give up. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.